You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. copy of God's Word today, we would ask you to turn in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We're starting a brand new series. This is a series I've been wanting to preach for quite some time, to be honest, because John is my favorite gospel. Uh, I love all the gospels, but there's just something special about John. And so uh, we're going to start it off by asking the question, who is Jesus the Word? Uh, because we're introduced to Jesus, and, and Jesus is described as the Word, in Greek, the Logos. And so we're going to describe, give some attributes of Jesus' nature today, and we would encourage you, if you can and are able, to please stand with us as we pay honor to the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is where we'll be today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word, this word that he has just described, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as of of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word, and we thank you for John the Apostle, the one who wrote these words. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would uh, just simply use me as your mouthpiece this morning, allowing me to speak the words that need to be spoken and holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be changed and transformed by them. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. 
I read a story of uh, one pastor, Randy Knipe, uh, who had gone through some difficulties in ministry and he needed a, a, a sabbatical time. So he was taking this time of sabbatical and he went out as he often did to the countryside. And he looked out at this uh, pasture and he was admiring the uh, green grass of the pasture and just admiring the beauty of, uh, of this scene before him when all of a sudden his eyes were directed to something in the middle of a cow pasture. And as you can imagine, in the middle of a cow pasture would be a cow patty. Anyone ever seen those? Obviously, it happens. Amen? <laughs> it happens. But he, he was wondering, he said, why was my eye directed towards this? Well, the interesting thing was, out of the midst of this cow patty, and no, I'm not talking about those chocolate, uh, you know, peanut butter treats that we have sometimes to get togethers. No. He, he was looking at this, and in the middle of this cow excrement was a flower growing in the midst of it. This beautiful flower was growing in the midst of this cow patty. And as he looked across the field, he saw time and time again where well, these flowers were growing up out of these cow patties. And he writes this and says, Sometimes our lives can seem like that. Doing our best to bloom, we're planted. To grow in spite of the stuff heaped upon us and the stench that overpowers our best efforts to make the world a better smelling place. Yet bloom we do because the power of God is life. It is life-giving, it is life-sustaining, and it is life-enhancing. The light will shine and the darkness shall not overcome it. The beacon on a hill will not be hidden under a bushel basket. God was encouraging him that despite the troubles that he faced, he could bloom right where he was planted. Amen? And the same applies to each and every one of us. But if you look at the truths that we find in John chapter 1, we see that this also applied to God, who from all creation existed with love and joy and peace and patience perfectly and left the throne of heaven to become one of us, to enter into our human sphere where we have wars, where we have violence, where we have antagonisms, where we have hostilities. He enjoined himself to our hostilities to provide us perfect peace, to provide us eternal life. That, my friends, is the gospel in a nutshell. And so that's what the gospel tells us that happened with Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into that, let me just give you a little note here about this gospel. I believe that there is strong evidence that suggests that John the Apostle, the one who laid his head upon Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, was the one who wrote this gospel. There's evidence inside the gospel that suggests this. There's even evidence outside the gospel that suggests this. Irenaeus, an early church father, writing in 200 A.D., notes that John the Apostle had, written this, had wrote this gospel uh, late in his life, while ministering in Ephesus. We also see other church fathers tell us, Clement of Alexandria tells us this, uh, Tertullian, Eusebius, the church historian, tells us this. In fact, the church was unanimous that John the Apostle wrote the fourth gospel, so I see no reason to debate what was unanimously held in the early church as being true, that John the Apostle was the one who wrote this fourth gospel. Now, that being said, John knew Jesus very well. He was one of the very first disciples who followed Jesus. And for three and a half years, he was with Jesus everywhere Jesus went. And at the end of his life, he writes these words that this Jesus was God come in flesh. Now, ladies, how many of you, you've been married to your husbands, how many of you, you've been with your husbands through thick and through thin, could you say that your husband is God come in flesh? <laughs> now, could you say that about Chris? <laughs> 
No offense, Chris. <laughs> I know, don't ask Jennifer. She'd definitely tell you no, absolutely not. But John, the apostle who spent three and a half years with Jesus, said that this Jesus, whom he knew, was absolutely perfect and was God who come in flesh. So who is this Jesus, the Word? Who is this Logos? Who is this one that Jesus writes about? Well, we want to see five attributes of Jesus' nature in the message today as we crank up this new series in the Gospel of John. Number one, and folks understand, this is absolutely critical in our understanding of who Jesus is. And if we don't get this right, we're going to miss completely who Jesus is. Number one, Jesus the Word is divine. He is God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see that in the Bible. We see this even here in John chapter 1, that Jesus was God. He says, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God come in flesh. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so, folks, if we get that wrong, we're going to miss who Jesus truly is. Now, in, uh, in ancient times, they had this idea that one of God's attributes was that of wisdom. You see this even in Proverbs, I believe it's chapter 2, if I'm not mistaken, that this, this wisdom was personified and it was an attribute of God, was closely aligned with God. And we see that John is extracting this, talking about that this wisdom that you know about in Proverbs 2. This logos, this wisdom principle, is in fact God, is in fact Jesus. John makes it explicitly clear that Jesus is God. In fact, you have to do some digging. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you also see Jesus making claims of divinity. You also see him making claims of divinity. And so John is so convinced of this that when he writes 1 John, which is also closely aligned with this gospel, he says these words, who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. John also warns in First John 2.18 that it is the last hour. And ever since the time Christ has come, we are in those last days. And understand, Jesus could come back at any moment. Now, we've been saying this, I know, for 2,000 years. But understand, every day that passes is one day closer to his, his appearing. And he says, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And folks, we have to get this right. We have to understand that Jesus is God. And we especially have to know this in today's time because we are bombarded with many different theologies and many different opinions. Amen? If you don't believe that there are many different opinions, go on Facebook. You go on just a few seconds, you're going to see there's all kinds of different opinions floating out there. Amen? And there's also a lot of different theologies floating out there as well. Some people would say that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. Some people would say this, that he is the Archangel Michael, that he's not God, he's an angel come in the flesh. But is that what John says? Is that what Jesus says? Absolutely not. There are some people who also say that, that Jesus was the first spirit child uh, born of the Father. But is that what the Bible tells us? Absolutely not. He says, in the beginning was the Word, being Jesus, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 
So you have this triune nature of God. You even see it in the baptism of Jesus. We'll look at that as we get there. That in the baptism of Jesus, you see the Father speaking from heaven, Jesus being baptized, and the Holy Spirit coming down upon him as a dove. You see all three Godheads right there. You see all three persons of the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have to understand this. We have to get it right. And if anyone claims that Jesus is not God then they have greatly misunderstood the Bible itself, and they have greatly misunderstood the claims of Jesus. In fact, C.S. Lewis was so convinced of this, he says we only have three options when it comes to Jesus. Jesus saying the things that Jesus did, he got himself crucified. But being, saying the things that Jesus said, we only have three options. Either he was a liar, and I don't think anyone would say Jesus is a liar, or maybe he's a lunatic on the level of someone calling themselves a poached egg. Maybe he's a lunatic. Well, he doesn't have any attributes of showing himself to be a lunatic. Or the third option is that he was right in what he said and that he is the Lord of all creation. Aren't you glad that he's the Lord of all creation? He's the Lord even of hurricanes, amen? Even of rainstorms. He has complete power and control over those things as well. So we must get this right. Jesus, the Word, is divine. Secondly, Jesus, the Word, is eternal. Notice he says, he was with God in the beginning. Now, if you want to have your mind do some cartwheels, think about this. When we celebrate Christmas, we, we think of Jesus being born in a manger. But did you know that Jesus existed before he was born? Now, you think about that for a moment. That'll make your mind do cartwheels if you really stop and think about that. Because the Bible says he was with God in the beginning. Jesus even says, before Abraham was, I am which is identifying himself back with the God of the Old Testament. Yahweh means I am what I am, the self-existing one. So Jesus is identifying himself back. He is saying that I am eternal. And this isn't only true in the Gospel of John. We also see it in the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians, there's an early church hymn dating back to the earliest church in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which essentially says that he left the throne of heaven and, and took on flesh and became one of us. He humbled himself to become one of us. Just think about that. Jesus left the throne of heaven to come into our sphere and to become one of us. Who was born, he left the throne of heaven, left the throne of heaven to be born in a stable with stinky animals. And I'm going to tell you something about animals. Their smell hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Amen? Jennifer was, uh, went to Israel when she was around some of those camels. She said, whoo, she's not getting on one of those things. Those things stink. And they stink badly, you know. So just think, the God of all creation, eternal as he was, was born in a manger with stinky, smelly animals. And why did he do that? He did it for you. He did it for each and every single one of us. You see, the problem is... A lot of times we, we uh, look at these quests for the historical Jesus. And I want to tell you, folks, you, you'll hear people, there are certain groups online that says, well, Jesus never existed. They haven't done any historical investigation. Because there's just as much evidence for Jesus' existence on this earth as there was for George Washington. I mean, in reality, there is. But I would just also say this. The problem with some of these quests for the historical Jesus is they begin with the presupposition that Jesus wasn't God. He must have been a good moral teacher. And what they end up doing is they make Jesus in their own image. That's what they end up doing. And that's why 
there's greatly been a failure with all these quests that you see on PBS and you see on the History Channel. A lot of them have been a failure because they failed to take into account the fact that Jesus is eternal, that He is God come in flesh, and if you take out that aspect of who He is, you have completely missed the identity of Jesus. But we also see not only is He eternal, not only is He, cre is he uh, divine, but He is also Creator. Think about this. In verses 3 through 5, it says, All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. This Jesus, who came in the flesh, was the creator of the universe. How amazing is that? That Jesus, the creator, <laughs> became part of the creation. That's amazing. To really stop, how do we even fathom that? The one who created all things became one of us and dwelt among us. As creator, Jesus had the power of creation. And let me just go ahead and say that, that he allowed uh, Satan to have dominion for a little while, but uh, he's taking it back, amen? He's taking it back. You know, Satan may be running rampant right now, but guess what? He, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming riding on a donkey as he did in Jerusalem the first time. He's come riding on a horse, and when he does, he's taking back this creation because it already belongs to him already. Everything already belongs to Jesus already. Everything already belongs to him. So he is the creator, and he has the power to give life. You cannot go into anyone else and asking life except through Jesus Christ because he is the only one who can provide life. He's the only one who ever could because he is the creator come to this world. We see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, another early text dating back to the early church that says, Christ was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. This world belongs to Jesus. This world belongs to Him. And I'm going to tell you something. He's taking it back. <laughs> and I'm glad that I serve King Jesus. Because there's not a politician greater than Jesus Christ. There's not a president greater than Jesus Christ. There's not a dictator greater than Jesus Christ. And when He comes, He's going to right the wrongs of this creation. You know, a lot of times we, we think of Jesus being in, in, in points of weakness. You know, at Christmas time, He's a babe born in a manger. At, at Easter, we think of Him hanging on a cross. But I want to tell you that they didn't take his life. He gave his life willingly for us. Because if he hadn't gave his life willingly for us, they could have never crucified him. Someone said, if you were the devil, how would you defeat Jesus? Can you burn him up? Well, he was in the pit with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he wasn't burned. What are you going to do, try to drown him? Well, the man walks on water. How are you going to drown somebody that walks on water? What are you going to do, throw him out of an airplane? Well, he ascended into heaven. I mean, what are you going to do? It was love that killed Jesus. He gave his life willingly just for you so that you would have life through him. And let me tell you something else about Jesus. In the book of Revelation, and Peggy, I want to get Revelation here sometime soon. I don't know when, but it's coming. It's, it's coming soon. You take a look at the picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Now, in the Bible, the number 7 means perfection. And Jesus is said to have seven eyes. Now, did that, was that literal? No, not literal. Jesus doesn't literally have seven eyes all over his head. Se eyes means wisdom. Seven means uh, perfection. So he's saying that Jesus has perfect wisdom. 
It also said that he had seven horns. Now, he didn't have literal horns. Horns mean strength. So seven meaning perfect. Horns meaning strength means that he has perfect strength. It also said that he has eyes like flames of fire. Do you know what that means? That when someone looks into the eyes of Jesus or when Jesus looks into the eyes of someone, he doesn't look at the exterior of a person. He can peer into the innermost depths of that person's soul. So when Christ looks at us, he sees our past, he sees our present, he sees our future, and he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? He sees your past, he's willing to forgive you if you come to him. He sees your present, he sees your future, and he still loves you with an everlasting love. You know, the amazing thing is when a president comes, airlines cancel their flights or they postpone them. They shut down interstates. They give them all the pomp and circumstance that one can give. But when Jesus left the throne of heaven, he didn't come with any fanfare. He was born in a manger just for us. Fourthly, we see that Jesus, the word, is revealed. We see this in verses 6 through 13, that Jesus came, but he was rejected. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. We see that the, the light, the enlightenment, the revelation of God is such that even faith, our faith, is a gift of God. Even the very faith we hold is something that God gives unto us and grants us the ability to have faith in Him. What do we as Christians have to boast about? Nothing in and of ourselves. All of our boasting is to be found in Jesus Christ. And when he reveals himself to us and we receive him as Lord and Savior, he enlightens us, he illuminates us, and the world itself is completely different than it was the way we saw it before. Without Jesus, we have reasons to be depressed. But if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have joy. You can have joy unspeakable, friend, because there's no reason to be depressed. There's no reason to be downtrodden because Jesus Christ gives us hope that there's a better day coming. He gives us hope that one day he's going to right the wrongs of creation. He gives us hope that we have love eternally in and through him. I stopped, we, uh, Wes and I stopped by to see Frank Meyer. Frank's on a trip right now, but he, uh, he taught us, he, we were talking about Plato's book called The Republic. And in, in his book, there's a parable called The Parable of the Cave. It's an interesting parable. The story is told of these uh, men who were chained up uh, in this cave since birth. And the only thing they saw were the shadows cast upon this cave wall. And behind them, there was a fire, and, and the captors would have these different little silhouettes that would, they would uh, make images of cats and dogs and, and ships and different things uh, through these different silhouettes. <coughs> Excuse me. One day, one guy decides he wants to come in and save one of the prisoners. He can't save them all, but he's going to save one. So he releases one of the prisoners. And the prisoner is finally able to turn his head and see that the shadows that he once thought were something real were nothing but shadows. He saw the light from the fire as it really was, and he was even escorted out of the cave to see the sunshine, to see the grass, to, to, to breathe that fresh air, to see all of creation as it really existed. And he thought to himself, that world that I thought that was was no longer. There, there was a greater world even beyond this. So he says, I must go back and tell my friends of this world that I've experienced. And when he does, he goes back to his fellow captors and they abuse him, they laugh at him, and eventually they kill him. 
But he says, Plato says, it's still, whenever you see, receive this enlightenment, it's still worth trying to go give other people that enlightenment. Now, he was talking from Greek philosophy. When we add the gospel, it's even more important because in, through the lens of Jesus, we see the world as it really is. Through the lens of Jesus, we see reality as it really is. Through the lens of Jesus, we see eternity as it really is. And doesn't it behoove us more, even more, to go and witness and tell people about the life that we can find in Christ Jesus and about the love and compassion we found in his, find in his name. But last but certainly not least, we see not only is Jesus the Word revealed, Jesus the Word is incarnate. This simply means that Jesus became one of us. Jesus is God, but He also took on flesh, meaning that He became one of us. He dwelt among us. Now, the Hindus believe that, there are, that God has manifested Himself in several different ways by several different individuals throughout all time. Yet the Bible says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself and is at the Father's side, he has revealed Him. The only manifestation of God found in this world and found throughout history is found in and through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus plus and minus nothing. Jesus only is what's required to be saved. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Athanasius of Alexandria said, he said, The Word, therefore, in His loving kindness visits the earth from which He was never really absent. He sees the evil and pities mankind and takes a body similar to ours. This he prepares for himself in the womb of a pure and stainless virgin and personally appropriates it. This body he offered to the Father as a sacrifice on behalf of us all to do away with death. And by this offering he restored to us incorruption and by his resurrection he abolished death forever. Because of Jesus... For the Christian, death has died. So when that time comes and our soul is required of us, we no longer have to fear death, do we? Because Jesus has already overcome death. Death is nothing, has lost its sting. Death has lost the power that it has over us because Jesus says the one who lives and believes in Him shall never, ever die because to be absent from this body is to be ever present with the Lord. We're a winner either way. You die, you live, it doesn't matter because we're a winner either way. If you have Christ Jesus, your eternity is secure. You have salvation found in the blood of Jesus Christ and nobody, and I mean nobody, can take that away from you. Amen? It doesn't matter what people say about you, amen? Nobody can take away salvation from you if you're in Christ Jesus. Let me close with this. I told you the story about driving a school bus, and I say again, I think everybody needs to drive a school bus at least one time in their life. It's an interesting experience, but it was a good experience. <coughs> Excuse me. I drove a school bus one time, <clears throat> and there was this little boy. He was a preschooler, and uh, he, he was the last stop that I had on my route. And he said to me one day, he always he never called me by my name. He always called me Mr. Bus Driver. That was his name for me. He said, Mr. Bus Driver, do you know that God died? I said, what? <laughs> I, I, I said, can you explain that a little bit more? He said, yeah, God died. So they nailed him on the cross, but three days later he got back up. And I told him, I said, son, you are far wiser than you know. <laughs> 
He had, he had actually associated the fact that Jesus would, was God, took on flesh, hung on the cross for our sins, and on the third day he arose from the dead and knew that at four. Can you imagine that? Four years old he knew that. Amazing. The fact of the matter is, is that we have a truth that transcends history. That God himself left the throne of heaven to become one of us, to take our sin upon his back and to nail it to an old rugged cross so that we can live life eternally through him. Let me leave you with four things. Number one, Jesus' true identity is that of the eternal God and not of a spirit child nor of an angel. He is God who came in flesh and we must understand that, that he is not just a mere human being because a mere human being couldn't save us. It took God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Secondly, only God incarnate could provide the sacrifice needed to save us from our sins. Number three, the world did not receive Jesus when he came. So if you go forth preaching the gospel and some people reject the message that you give them, keep on preaching, amen? Don't let that discourage you because Jesus himself was rejected when he came. So keep on preaching. And lastly, but certainly not least, every other worldview, every other religion tells you how you can reach up to God. But it's only Christianity that has told us how God has reached down to us. And the reality is, is we can't save ourselves. For you to be able to save yourself means that you would have to be absolutely perfect from the time you were born to the time you died. And that means never doing anything wrong, never saying anything wrong, never thinking anything wrong. Anybody ever been able to do that? <laughs> Anybody ever be, even been successful with that this morning? You know... Uh, <laughs> We could not do that. There's no way we could. So that's why Christ, that's why God had to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of great power and forgiveness in the love of God. So if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come and receive Him today. You may not have another opportunity to make things right with him, so I want to encourage you to come down and make that profession of faith today. Or maybe you're here, maybe you're struggling with some issues of life. Maybe you want to just lay it down at the foot of the cross. Whatever God is saying and doing in your life, we just encourage you to respond according to the Holy Spirit's will. Maybe you want to come and join the ministry here at Westfield. We encourage you to do that as well. Again, whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, we just ask that you would be responsive to his will this morning. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, that through Christ we have salvation and through none other. We thank you, Lord, that you are the word that you left the throne of heaven and took on flesh to be nailed on a Roman cross. You didn't have to do that, but you did because of your great love for us. We thank you for defeating death, hell, and the grave on the third day, the first Easter Sunday. And we thank you that through your Holy Spirit, you provide us life eternal. Lord, we just want to ask that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. We ask all these things. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. 
Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.